weeks, but this morning uh, we're going to pause that. And last week, you know, I introduced a prayer guide to us that we're going to use every Friday leading up to Easter. Uh, And that prayer guide is not only a guide for for how we can be praying for ourselves and for our church, uh, but it's also going to be a guide that helps us fast during that time as well. And so I had mentioned uh, last week that on Sunday night, I was going to talk about fasting and describe what fasting is and, and how we do that. And I got to thinking about it this week and I thought, well, why did I decide that had to be Sunday night? Why can't I just do it Sunday morning? Uh, Sometimes I just say things. So I thought, no, we'll just do it Sunday morning. So we're going to pause on Philippians right now, and we're going to talk about fasting this morning. Uh, Because my prayer is that this would be something that our church would do uh, together. So you got that prayer guide last week. If you weren't here or you didn't get one, it's up online as well. You can go to our website. There's a resources tab. Just go all the way to the bottom, and it says prayer and fasting guide. You can get one there, and you can follow along with us every Friday uh, as we lead up to Easter. And I think we all know what prayer is, or we have an idea of what that is, but for a lot of us, fasting is kind of a foreign concept. It's something we don't do a lot, it's something that we don't talk about a lot, and so I wanted to spend some time today and just kind of lay out uh, the, the what is fasting, why do we fast, and how do we fast, just kind of an overview of what the Bible describes this looking like. And where I want to start this morning is by uh, sharing with you what I talked with uh, our college students about a couple weeks ago. And so we were meeting up here on Thursday night, and I was talking with them, and I I posed a question to them. I said, how many of you read your Bible, and you read the words of Jesus, or or maybe you even start to read the book of Acts every now and then? And how many of you read those things, and you look at what Jesus said, and you look at the example of the early church, and you see churches today being different? It doesn't seem to, to match up entirely. And everyone there that night, and last week as well, they said, uh, yeah, I do see it being different. With the, way, the things that Jesus tells us to do and the way the early church kind of operated and what they were doing and what we do today, yeah, I see that being different. And I said, well, in what way do you see it being different? Give, give me some, some examples of what you see. And overall, the consensus was, well, in the early church, they were a lot more committed than we are today. They were a lot more passionate about their faith than we are today. They were a lot more serious about their faith than we are today. You know, they talked about, you know, you heard, they heard the words of Jesus, and Jesus told them to do certain things, and Jesus prescribed certain things, and they just kind of blindly did it, and there weren't really a lot of questions about it. There wasn't a lot of, well, I think what Jesus really meant was... Or I think what Jesus meant to say was this. They just heard what Jesus says and they did it without a lot of question, without a lot of asking. And I mentioned to them in this, I said, what's really interesting when you look at the church in Acts and the few years after that, they're really a lot less equipped than we are today. That you look at the early church and they don't have a real strong theology of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. They don't have this full-fleshed-out idea of of this big concept of the incarnation and and the God becoming man and how that plays itself out. And and he was 100% God and 100% man, but at the same they don't have all of that fleshed out in their mind yet. They don't have a real strong theology of the Holy Spirit and that he comes and and indwells believers and gives them power to live live out the Christian life and and he seals them for the day of promise. They they don't really understand that at all. In fact, you get late uh, towards the end of the book of Acts and, and Paul stumbles upon some of John's own disciples, John the Baptist. 
And he asked them, he says, well, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And they look at Paul and they say, who's the Holy Spirit? We've been walking around following Jesus this whole time. We've never even heard of that. Who's the Holy Spirit? And Paul has to explain it to them. They don't have this idea fleshed out. They don't have a real strong concept of what church looks like and how church is supposed to work. They're, they're kind of always piecing it together as they go. And yet we see them being one of the most effective churches that's ever existed. You, you look at what they were able to do in just the span of a few short years. And, and it's remarkable that, that really by the time Jesus leaves in the book of Acts and he goes back into heaven, there's maybe only a little over 100 believers who are gathered together in Jerusalem. And yet you get to the book of Acts, and they have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of believers. You get Paul writing some of his early letters, and he talks about, and the entire gospel has been preached throughout all of Asia. It's been spread everywhere, and new churches are popping up all over the place. And you kind of look at the church today, though, and you go, we don't see some of those same results. We've got people all over the world still who have never heard the name of Jesus. We've got an entire section of the world that, that we try to reach called the 1040 window, and we say that the people who live in, in this geographic area never heard the name of Jesus, never come into contact with him before. You know, we, we look at the state of our churches, and we look at what's going on in, in our denominations, and in our churches across our nation, and, and baptisms are down, and membership is down, and evangelism is down, and all of that, and we just go, we're, we're Where's the disconnect? Where, where are we missing it? What's going wrong? And I want to submit to us this morning that maybe the issue is that we just don't take Jesus as seriously as we ought to. That there are some things that the Jesus commands to the church and commends to the church that, that we just don't take all that seriously. And I think it's either because we believe it can't be that simple or we just don't want to do what he said. But I think those are the only two options we have. And I would ask us the question this morning, what part of the Bible, what words of Jesus do we have the right to refuse to obey? What, what words of Jesus exist that we have the option of looking at them and saying, that's not for me, that's for a different time and for a different place, and, and I don't want that. And I think our answer would be, None, right? At least the theologically correct answer would be no, we don't have the right to do that. We can't just say to Jesus, I know you've said to do this, but I'm not going to. And I think we get to prayer and I think we get to fasting. And that's where we don't take Jesus as seriously as we ought to. That Jesus says to pray and to fast. And sometimes I think we just look at Jesus and go, it can't be that simple. Right, no, we, we got to strategize and we got to have some planning meetings and we got to get a committee together and we've got to get this and we got to fundraise and we got to do that. And Jesus just says, I want you to pray and I want you to fast and then watch what I do. And yet, for most of us, I think a large portion of us, we would go, Yeah, I've prayed before, but I've never fasted before. Wouldn't really even know what that looks like. And so this morning, I just kind of want to walk through that. What, what does fasting look like? And, and we see them again doing this all throughout the book of Acts in the early church. They're committed to prayer and to fasting, to prayer and to fasting, to prayer and to fasting. Acts chapter 2, they're, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And it says they're up in the upper room and they are praying together. They, they are devoted to prayer. They are praying night and day. Acts chapter 9, Paul has his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, gets knocked off the donkey, blinding light. He's blind for three days. 
And Paul fasts for three days and prays for three days. Lord, what am I supposed to do with with what you've now done in my life? How, How do I change? What's this supposed to look like? Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison. And the church has gathered together to pray for Peter's release. That they're not gathered together strategizing about how they can do a jailbreak. They're not figuring out how can we get SEAL Team 6 to go in there and bust our man out. They just get together and they pray. And God sends an angel and he goes in there and he takes off the cell doors and he opens up the chains and says, Peter, get out of here, go. And he finds all the people praying. Acts 13, the entire church in Antioch, the entire church was praying and fasting about, God, what would you have us do? What what are we supposed to do now? What's the next hill that we're supposed to take? And it says in Acts 13 that while they're praying and fasting, God reveals to them that they should send Paul and Barnabas as missionaries out into the mission field. Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are out there starting churches. And every time it says in Acts chapter 14, but as they raise up elders, as they raise up leaders in these churches, they fast and they pray about who they should leave behind to lead the church. They fast and they pray and they fast and they pray and they fast and they pray, and every time they do it, they see God move. And so will we just take the words of Jesus seriously? Will we take the words of the Bible seriously and say, I'm going to fast, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to see what God's going to do. I'm going to see how he's going to act just by obeying his commands, just by following what he wants me to do. And so I think the first question we have to ask is really, well, what is fasting? Well, what is fasting? Well, what would be a definition of it? And this is where we're going to start this morning. Fasting is choosing to go without food and water for a temporal time for spiritual purposes. Fasting is choosing to go without food and water for a temporal time for spiritual purposes. And we're going to break this down just a little bit, each of those parts. And so it's going without food and water. And this is where I want to pause for just a minute and really impress upon us, are we going to take the words of Jesus seriously? Will we take the Bible seriously when it talks about fasting? Because I think we've all heard it said before, and I'm not trying to to undermine anything or make anyone feel guilty, but we've all heard it before. Well, I can fast, but I can fast from a bunch of different other things. I can fast from TV, and I can fast from internet, and I can fast from social media, and I can fast from coffee or sweets or chocolate, and and that is a fast that the Bible would prescribe. But every time the Bible talks about fasting, it talks about giving up food and water. The, The biblical definition of a fast is giving up food and water. And so are we going to take the Bible seriously when it says to do that? Because I think otherwise we just cheapen the words of Jesus to make it easier on ourselves. Because I think at the end of the day we go giving up food and giving up water is really difficult. Because my stomach's going to grumble and it's going to hurt and I'm going to have a headache at the end of the day and I'm going to smell really good food and it's going to be really hard not to do that. So maybe just let me not go on Facebook as much because that doesn't cause me any pain. That doesn't cause me any kind of discomfort to have to give up that thing over there. But every time we see fasting in the Bible, people are giving up food and they're giving up water. And I would argue to us this morning that that giving up other things is fine, but that's not biblical fasting. It might just be abstaining from other things, which is perfectly fine to do. 
and perfectly reasonable to do, and sometimes we ought to do it. Right? You might want to say, maybe I do need to abstain from social media for a little while. Right? Because you can look around social media today, and you can look at Christians on social media today, and Facebook is making some Christians the most bitter, angry, ungodly people around. Because everything that gets spread and everything that gets talked about, you're not becoming godlier, you're just becoming a gossip. So maybe you really do, maybe you should abstain from that for a period of time, but that's not a biblical fast in the way that Jesus would do it. And here's the point of this. When when you're declaring a fast, when you say, I'm going to give up food and I'm going to give up water, I'm giving up that which sustains life itself. See, you you can live without Facebook. You, You can live without chocolate. You can live without coffee. That might seem like a hard one, but you can do it. You, you can live without all of those things, and life can be sustained. But if you go too long without food and water, you cannot sustain life. And so, in effect, what you're saying when you fast, when you give up food and you give up water, you're saying, God, I want you more than I want life itself. I want you more than I want life itself. Because, God, you are ultimately what sustains me. And if I can just get more of you... I will be okay, but I just want you. And so I'm going to give up that which normally sustains me so I can have that which ultimately sustains me. And so a biblical fast is giving up food and water for a set period of time. It doesn't mean you do it forever. It doesn't mean that no one, the Bible is never calling anyone to say for the rest of your days, give up food and water. You will die. Do not do that but you do it for a temporal period of time, a set period of time. And and so we have examples in the Bible where there are some fasts that last as as short as 24 hours and some that go right on up to to 40 days. And so there is a window in which this can happen. And so it's for a set period of time, right? You have examples all throughout the the Old Testament. Nehemiah is one of them where, where he fasts for days, just a few days, praying to the Lord, asking him what he ought to do. And then, of course, you've got the example of Jesus in the New Testament, fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. There's a large span of time we can talk about with this. There's examples in church history of fasts that last for years at a time. People who have gone 10 years or more fasting every Friday or every Monday so they can pray for specific things and ask God to move. Uh, John Wesley, who was the founder of the, the Methodist denomination, John Wesley would not ordain another minister unless they were committed and known to fast at least two days a week. And that's how committed they were to that. That's how committed he was to that, to say this causes a move of God when we do this, when we take the word of God seriously. So we're saying, God, I want you more than I want life itself. And for a set period of time, I'm going to forgo that which sustains life just so I can focus on you. So fasting is going without food or water for a set period of time for, for spiritual purposes. That fasting is not just done for, for health benefits. You're not just saying, well, I think I need to drop a few pounds, so I'm going to fast every Friday. That's not the point of that. That's not a biblical fast. Fasting in the biblical sense is not a political statement. It's not a hunger strike that you're going on. Fasting is done for for spiritual purposes, that you're looking at God and you're saying, God, I want to focus on you. I, I want to focus on you as much as I long for anything else in my life. 
that, God, you are the greatest thing I could possess. And if there's some things that I got to get out of my life, if there's some things I have to remove from my life, then let me just focus on you so that I can have more of you. We fast so that we can better focus on God and long for him like we long for anything else. We fast so we can better focus on God and long for him like we long for anything else. Richard Foster, who's a, actually a, a Quaker, uh, that's just a different Christian denomination, but he's written a lot on fasting and the spiritual disciplines. He says fasting is feasting, but it's feasting on God. Fasting is feasting, but it's feasting on God. And I want to pause here for just a minute and kind of camp out here for a second because I, I think this is critical for us. Because this is really what it all comes down here to, fasting for spiritual purposes. Because I know, listen, I, I know this is hard. And already this week I've gotten some, some phone calls and some texts and all of this about, oh, Pastor, this is difficult. I don't know if I can give up food for that long. And I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty about that at all. I get it. It's hard. And yeah, you might give up food for a day and you're gonna, your stomach's going to growl and you're going to head, you're gonna go to bed with a headache. And you're going to wake up in the morning here and go, gosh, I wish I could have something to eat. I really want something right now. But let me ask you something. As you go throughout your day and all those hunger pangs come, and you go to bed and you have that headache, and you're going throughout your work day and you're just going, oh, gosh, a hamburger sounds so good right now. I just wish I could have. And everything you do, you're just thinking about food the whole day. Now, listen, we're going to talk about something here in a minute where Jesus says not to let your fasting be known to everyone. But I'm just gonna, this is funny, so I'm just going to share it with you all. But this Friday, I was fasting along with our prayer guide. It got to be about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and Aaron and I had some errands to go run, and I picked up Liam. I said, all right, Liam, you ready to go deliver some food with Mom and Dad? And Aaron looked at me and said, what do you mean we're delivering food? We were dropping off clothes at some place. And I thought, oh, my goodness, all I can think about is food right now. I literally picked Liam up and said, you ready to go deliver some food? Because I was so hungry, right? All in my mind, I didn't even realize consciously I was thinking about food that much. But, but let me ask you all something. Do you ever get to the end of a day and do you ever crawl into bed after not having read your Bible that day and God say, God, I ache so much because I didn't hear from you today. God, my soul thirsts so much because I didn't talk to you today. God, I, I just, I feel weak and I feel miserable and I feel tired because God, I didn't speak to you. And I think for the vast majority of us, we can go days and we can go weeks, we can go months fasting on the word of God and fasting on prayer and we feel nothing. But the minute we're asked to give up food for a day, oh gosh, my stomach's going to hurt. Oh, my head's going to hurt. I'm just going to want food so bad. Do you want God that bad? As much as your stomach hurts, and as much as your head hurts, and as much as you feel weak and you're tired, you go, I don't know if I can do this. Do you ever groan for God that badly? Barna did a research study in 2018. They estimated that 54% of American Christians are disengaged from the Bible, meaning that they interact with it infrequently, if at all, and it has little impact on their lives. 
54% of American Christians interact with their Bible infrequently, if at all, and it has little impact on their lives. And we go throughout the rest of our day, and we don't ache once. We don't hurt once. It doesn't weaken us once. My fear as a pastor is I could stand up in this church or any church and I could tell them, let's fast from prayer for a day and just see what happens. And I don't think there'd be any reaction to it. I don't think anyone would say, oh, pastor, we can't fast for fast from prayer for a day. That would be so ungodly. No, we wouldn't say anything because most American Christians are going weeks or months without praying at all. And we don't feel anything about it. I could get up here and say, guys, we're going to fast for a month from the word of God. We're not going to feast on the word of God for a month. And again, I think a lot of us would go, doesn't change anything for me. Because I'm already not in his word every month. I'm already not feasting on his word every month. I don't ache at all. I don't remember the last time God has said anything to me. But it doesn't hurt, and it doesn't make me ache, and it doesn't make me weak, and it doesn't make me sick. Oh, but I gotta have that food. Oh, I, got, I gotta have that lunch. I gotta have that afternoon snack, because if I don't, I'm just gonna feel miserable. But do you feel miserable if you don't hear from God? Does your soul groan if you don't speak to Him? And that leads right into the next thing. Well, why do we fast? Why do we fast? We fast because we want more of God. We fast because we want more of him. And all throughout scripture, we see fasts occurring at different times. These people are longing for the presence of God. They want more of God. One of the best examples of it is 1 Samuel chapter 7. The, the Jews were only required to, to fast one day out of the entire year. It was the Day of Atonement. Otherwise, it was optional if you wanted to fast beyond that. One day a year, you fasted. But in 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel calls the entire nation of Israel to fast. And the reason they fast is because the Ark of the Covenant has been absent from Israel for 20 years. 20 years the Ark of the Covenant has been gone, which means that for 20 years the presence of God has been gone. They haven't heard from him. He hasn't spoken to them. They haven't experienced him. The ark has been gone for 20 years. And finally, Samuel has had enough of it. He calls for a fast. He says, we are fasting until the presence of God comes back because they want more of him. Life wasn't content until they had more of God. Is your life content until you have more of God? Are you not satisfied till you have more of him and more of him than you even think is possible? Are you satisfied to go throughout your day and go, God, I don't think I've ever heard you actually speak to me in any real way. I don't think I've ever actually seen you move in any real way in my life, but I'll just continue to go do the same things and I'll go to church and I'll sing the songs and I'll go to the events, but there's no real relationship with you, but I'll do nothing to change that or affect that because I'm just content with the way things are. It says here in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the presence of God has been absent for 20 years. And they say, God, we'll forgo everything until we have you again. And God, we're not going to stop until you show up. And we're not going to do anything else until you are in our midst again. That'll preach, church. That ought to be a good revival sermon for some preacher. The fact that for a long time, a long time, the presence of God has been gone from our churches. 
The glory of God has been gone. And there's a bunch of events, and there's a bunch of programs, and there's a bunch of activity, and the, and the lights are on, but nobody's awake. And when we say, God, something's got to change. God, we got to wake up, and I want more of you. And so let me ask us a question this morning. If we're not fasting, is it because we have all of God that we want? If we're not fasting, is it because we say, I have all of you I want, and I have all of you I need, so I'm just going to satisfy myself now with everything else this world can bring, because God, I've got enough of you. Just keep, stay where you are. I don't need any more. I don't need to get any closer. I'm content. And all throughout the Bible, we see it being an example of, no, I want more of God, and I want more of him than I think is even possible for me to possess. But we also fast because we're burdened. We fast because we're burdened. It's not just that people want more of God, but they're, they're burdened over something. They're, they're broken over something. Nehemiah chapter 1, Blake preached on this uh, when he was here at Revival for Us. Nehemiah chapter 1, he finds out that Jerusalem is in shambles, that the gates have been burned. There's nothing left. And so Nehemiah is burdened. He says, I have to do something about this. So what does Nehemiah do? He fasts and he prays. And he fasts and he prays. And based on how you want to read those verses, he may have done it for days, he may have done it for months. We're not exactly sure. But he fasts and he prays until he gets an answer from God. Church, what are we burdened for? What are we not content with until God moves? And I think we could all probably come up with a few things in our mind. We could come up with a few things in our head that we're burdened over. And I mean that honestly. That some of us might go, I am burdened over abortion in this nation. And I'm burdened that people would go out and kill little babies before they're even born. But, but are we responding in the right way to that? Because it seems to me that the church today would say, yeah, I'm burdened for that. But again, I'm not going to take the words of Jesus seriously. I'll just go post something on Facebook about it so I feel better. But I'm not going to fast and pray over that for any extended period of time. But maybe if I can just show the world I'm outraged, maybe that'll change it. And it doesn't change it. We might be burdened, but are we, we burdened in the right way? Are we responding in the right way to God? Are we burdened over lostness in our world? Are we burdened that people don't know Jesus? Are we burdened that even people right here in our backyard don't know Jesus? And we say, God, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray until every single one of my neighbors knows you. He's got to long for that, and I want that. So we fast because we want more of God, and we fast because we are burdened. And the reason is this, the more God gets of you, the, let me say it this way, the more you fast, the more God gets of you, and the more God gets of you, the more you experience him. The more you fast, the more God gets of you, and the more God gets of you, the more you experience him. The, the more you get out of your life so that you can have more of God, the more he gets of you, the more attention he gets, the more focus he gets. And the more he gets that, the more you experience him. And so there are things that happen when we fast and when we pray. Now, I want to be careful here for just a minute because the biblical example is the reason you fast is primarily and only because you want more of God. That you say, God, I am not content with the level of relationship I have with you. I'm not content with as much as I experience you. I just want you, so I'm going to put everything else aside to focus on that. But fasting and prayer are so closely connected, and because prayer changes things, 
Normally when we fast, when we go through seasons of fasting and prayer, we see God move in ways that we don't ordinarily see him move. And so I don't want us to think here this morning as we get to this next little section of what happens when we fast, that we're going to do this because God's some magic genie. And if I just forgo enough meals, God's going to give me everything I want. No, no, no. It's not about getting what you want. You just want God. But as you get more of God, you're going to see God do some things. And so we have examples of what fasting does in the Bible. When we fast, we can experience, first off, supernatural provision. I've added some extra verses up under these if you'd like to, to jot them down and read them on your own time. We won't have time to cover all of them this morning. But when we fast, we can experience supernatural provision. Ezra's trying to get the people back to Israel. He's trying to get them back into the promised land after they've been in captivity. They're not sure how they're going to make it. They don't know if they're going to have the right supplies. And so they call for a fast. And they fast and they pray. And God supplies for every one of their needs in a supernatural way. When we fast, we can experience divine guidance. When we fast, we can experience divine guidance. There are multiple accounts in the Bible where the people come together and say, God, we don't know what to do. We are completely lost. We are completely clueless. What do we do? So they call for a fast and they fast and they pray and God gives them a special kind of guidance. Not just some sort of logic, not just some extra wisdom, but divine supernatural guidance. When we fast, we can experience divine protection and deliverance. When we fast, we can experience divine protection and deliverance. Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 and 21, Jesus has been up on the Mount of Transfiguration with, with his disciples, or three of them, and they've come back down off the mountain after this experience, and the crowd runs up to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, there's this demon-possessed boy over here. Can you come cast out the demon? And Jesus says, sure, no problem. Well, as he gets up there, the, the other disciples, the other nine, are, are crowded around this boy trying to cast the demon out, and they can't do it. So Jesus just walks up and says, come out of him. And instantly the demon leaves. And it says later the disciples privately ask him, they say, Jesus, why, why couldn't we do that? We've done it before. Why couldn't we cast this one out? And Jesus just kind of makes this passing comment, doesn't explain it, but just says, oh, that kind can only come out with, with prayer and fasting. The only way you were going to accomplish that was if you were full of prayer and if you were full of fasting. Indication is you weren't. And so is there something in your life that, that you need some deliverance from? Is there something in your life that you've tried to cast off for a really long time and you haven't been able to? Maybe Jesus' answer is, you need to take my words a little bit more seriously and you need to pray and you need to fast so that you can be set free from this. When we fast, we can experience supernatural protection from temptation. That's the last one, I'm sorry. We can experience genuine repentance. We can experience genuine repentance. Jonah chapter 3 is the best example of this. Unbelievers, right? It's the city of Nineveh, and Jonah's gone in, and he's preached to them their coming destruction. It says that they all put on sackcloth and ashes, and they fast, and they cry out to God, and God allows them to genuinely repent. Unbelievers are able to genuinely repent when they fast and when they pray. We fast and we pray, we can experience a fresh move of God. Nehemiah chapter 1, Daniel chapter 9. Then we fast and we pray and we just call out to God and we say, God, I want you more than I want anything else. I want you more than anything this life can give me. Just give me you. We experience a fresh move of God. When we fast and we pray, we experience a deeper love and devotion. Luke chapter 2, we find out that Anna has been in the temple for decades. Decades praying and fasting and worshiping God. Why? Because she just loves him that much. 
And God, all I want is you. So forget going home, forget meals, forget all that. God, just give me you. You can give us a deeper love and devotion. And then finally, supernatural protection from temptation. Fasting and praying can give you supernatural protection from temptation. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Satan himself comes to tempt Jesus, and he's able to avoid it. He's able to not give in. Why? Because he's full of prayer, and he's full of fasting. He can, he can stand off those attacks. Supernatural protection from temptation. So we say, well, all that sounds great. Maybe I do want some more of God, and maybe I do need some, some more, a new move of God in my life. Maybe there is something I need God to do for me, so maybe fasting and praying is what I should do. But how? How do I fast? How, how does that actually look? Well, the first thing you do is you determine how long your fast is going to be. How long are you going to fast for? How long are you going to do this? So we've called our church to say every Friday leading up to Easter, we're going to fast for one day. Just fast on Friday. So from the time you get up, from the time you go to bed, fast for one day. That's how long our fast is. But the Bible describes three different kinds of fasts. The first one is just the standard fast. And this is in Scripture, this is giving up food but not water for a certain period of time. And that can be for, for a day, that can be for a week, however long God calls you to do it, but you give up food but not water. So you're putting something in your body. You give up food, but you don't give up water for a certain period of time. There's an absolute fast. This is when people say, I'm going to give up food and I'm going to give up water for a certain period of time. Esther does this. Uh, Esther, when she finds out about the plan so to have all the Jews murdered, she calls her, she calls her people together. She says, we're going to fast from food and for water, for three days until we hear from the Lord. So an absolute fast is I'm not eating or drinking anything during this time. And then finally, the Bible describes what some would call a supernatural absolute fast. And this is going without food or water for large portions of time. Uh, Moses and Elijah both do this. Moses and Elijah go 40 days each without food or water. Now listen, no one walk out of here and do that today. That is not what God is calling you to this morning. I'm telling you right now, no one is impressing, God is not impressing upon anyone this morning to go fast from food and water for 40 days. You will die, all right? If, you, if I find out you're at the hospital because you said, oh, I'm going to fast for 40 days without food and water, I will come and force them to feed you, okay? You are not honoring anyone by doing that. Seriously. But there's, there's a standard fast and there's an absolute fast. So you're going to take in water, you're not going to take in water, that's the thing. But what does that look like? So I pick what, what I'm going to do. I kind of choose what my fast is going to be. And then what do I do? I, I, I just go about my day as I regularly would. I, I just continue to do the same things that I always do. I go to work. I go to school. I interact with people. I just go about my day as I would normally go about doing it. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, if you're fasting and when you fast, you just go about your day and you don't need to let people know you're fasting. You don't need to make a big deal about it. Because otherwise, that's your reward. People will come to you and they'll pat you on the back. Look how spiritual you are. Good for you. I wish I could be as spiritual as you. And God says, you've gotten what you wanted. you got your reward. So Jesus says, go about your day. Splash some water on your face. Put some oil on your head. And make yourself look good. Make yourself smell good. And go out and just go about your day normally. But then we would also say that it's just you go throughout your normal day, read and pray during normal eating times. So, so the time that you would normally eat, if it's breakfast, if it's lunch, if it's dinner, whatever it is, you say, God, I'm just going to set aside that time, and I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to read, and I'm just going to hear from you. And so I think there's probably a way that, that we can all do this, even if you work, right? 
you still get a lunch break probably. There's some time in the day where you're able to slip away to go do something. And you say, God, I'm just going to set that time aside for you. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to read during that time. And so we've given you a prayer guide for this. And every Friday you can just work through that prayer guide and you can pray the prompts that are in there. You can read over the scripture passages that are in there and you can just pray and ask to hear from God. It's, it's not like you're doing anything overly difficult or overly taxing. You're, you're not doing anything real superstitious. You're just reading and you're praying. You're saying, God, I want to hear from you. And, and in those moments where your stomach really hurts and your head really hurts and you really are, you sit down. I guarantee you're going to start thinking about that hamburger the minute you sit down. But I think in that moment, you just start praying and say, God, I know my stomach hurts. And God, I know my head hurts. And God, I can't wait to eat. But God, would you help me to want you just as much? Would you help our church to want you just as much? God, I know there are probably some other people in our church who are doing this with me today, and I know they're probably in the same amount of pain and discomfort I'm in right now. Oh, but God, will we ache for you as much as we ache for some food right now? God, would you just give us a fresh move of you, just a fresh outpouring of your spirit? God, I don't care how much I hurt. Make me hurt spiritually that much if I don't hear from you. And you spend some time in prayer, and you spend some time reading God's word. And at the end of the day, close by recording what God's revealed to you. What, what does God want you to do? What course of action is he calling you to take? What, what has he shown you about himself? And just jot some things down. And again, it doesn't have to be something overly spiritual and supernatural. We're not asking you to rewrite the Bible here. Just what's God telling you? Well, what's he called you to do? What is he, what's he asking you to do as a result of this prayer and of this fasting? And so let me ask you all, is this something that you would commit to? Is this something we as a church, we say, God, I, I want this, and, and we want you more than anything else. And a lot of us might look around and we could go, well, well, couldn't we just do it a different way? And couldn't we try to do something else to try to get God's attention? And, and maybe we could, but, but why not just take the words of Jesus seriously? Why not just take the Bible seriously when it says what it says? And when God calls for prayer and fasting, just pray and fast. Now, I'm going to add this, this caveat here at the end because I feel like I need to do this. If you're here this morning, you say, man, I, I, I want to do that, and I want to commit to this. But listen, if, if you're 98 years old, and you're on medication that the doctor requires you to take with food and water, take your medication with food and water, please. Don't, don't walk out of here and think that God's going to love you less, or you're not spiritual enough because you can't do it. I get it. If you have a legitimate medical reason for why you can't fast food and water, God is okay with that and he understands. And so maybe then, then you have the opportunity to say, but I will abstain from something else. Maybe I will choose something else to abstain from, and that's how I'll honor God in this. But please don't leave here and feel guilty and try to do this. And then again, I find out you're in the hospital. I would feel terrible if you did that. But for those of you, but listen, but for those of you who physically are capable of doing this. You have no health condition. You have nothing that would prevent you from doing this at all other, other than just your own willpower and desire. Don't cheapen the words of Jesus. Don't, don't look at the prayer guide and go, I know pastor wants us to pray and fast, and I, go, I know God wants me to pray and fast, but I gotta get through the work day, and I'm gonna be tired, and I'm gonna be grumpy, and so I'm just gonna choose Facebook. I'm just gonna fast Facebook. Don't do that. Don't, don't cheapen the words of Jesus. Do you really want him? Do, do you really want more of God than you want now? Do you really want to hear God speak? Do you really want to see God move? Then, then take the words of Jesus seriously. 
and say, God, I'm going to fast. I'm going to give up life itself, what sustains life itself, just so I can have you. And then just watch and see what God does. So I'm going to ask Lynn to come and sing our hymn of invitation this morning. And if this is something that you're willing to commit to, I'd ask you just to come and pray today. Say, Lord, help me to do this. God, I want to experience more of you. I want to know more of you. And and maybe you just want to pray for yourself. Maybe you want to pray for our church. God, let us get to the point that if we go a day without hearing from you, if we go a day without praying to you, that we ache deep down inside until we have you, that we don't feel good until we've met with you. But God, would you give us a fresh move? Would you give us a fresh outpouring of your spirit? So if God's calling you this morning, I want you to come and you respond.